Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Training camps are finally uh, throwing their gates open and welcoming in real, live, actual baseball players. And uh, we are nearly to the start of the 2020 season. Get excited. Hello, everyone. Hi. Welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. I'm Tyler Ron. Sam Dykstra. Sam, I can feel your excitement from here. Happy Pitchers and Catchers Week, everybody. Yeah. There you That's, go. I love that phrase week. just so much. It is. It's uh, very much a swath of the greatest words in the English language. And um, yeah, it's I did every once in a while, you'll get one of those moments again where you see something from a a spring training setting that you're like, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to get back to it. This morning, there was a a screenshot of Ken Rosenthal that I saw on Twitter from Mets camp in Florida. And it was one of those like early morning shots where the shadows are just one way. And Rosenthal is standing on the, the third base side of the main field in St. Louisie and that the grass is pristine and beautiful behind him and the sun's coming up and you can tell he's got the warmth on his face and there's blue skies in the background and I thought oh yeah we're gonna make it to spring again <laughs> this happens every year and yet it doesn't feel like that no. especially for you with the amount of snow you guys have in Denver we didn't get like any yeah. snow in December or January and now we're 12 days into February and I think it snowed basically every day Including right now, as we record this week's episode of the uh, the show before the show on a Wednesday afternoon. Annoying. Eh, a little annoying. At least the winter still exists. But that's I the mean, thing. we have to cling to winter, right. winter as long as we can have right. it. Right. And that, like, I complain about it. Although, you know, if the planet was still normal, I would be complaining about it also. But now it's like I complain about it, but I'm also like, eh, I should probably, like, appreciate it, too. Um, I just don't appreciate shoveling. That's the only thing. If I could go without shoveling, I'd be fine. But okay, Millennial. Being a, manual labor what is this being, being somebody with a driveway and a walkway to my house and a sidewalk in front i gotta do these things dumb yeah. um but anyway we're gonna talk about baseball from warm climbs in uh florida and arizona here coming up uh in just a moment as we welcome you to this week's episode of the show before the show we put out a call last week for uh listener questions and you all did not disappoint we were inundated we'll say uh with listener questions no we did get a a really good uh wide array of questions that we will get to uh, a few of as the show goes along today and if you want to get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com 
You can get in touch with us on Twitter. Sam is at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon, uh, And let us know the things that you would like to know heading into the 2020 season, whether it has to do with prospects or the minor leagues in general or beyond. Uh, we are here to answer your questions and solve all of your life issues. That's what we do on this show. And uh, with that, let's kick it off. We talked three topics in the world of minor league baseball to get things started on every week's show. And uh, this week, we kick off three strikes with a uh, an altered... Mookie Betts trade, which uh, has seen a team drop out of the way that the trade was initially agreed to go down. The framework that was once a three-team deal switched to a two-team deal. Then there was a separate two-team deal. Then another trade fell apart. It's all kinds of weird stuff. But what we know is the deal that sends 2018 American League MVP Mookie Betts, as well as 2012 American League Cy Young Award winner David Price from the Boston Red Sox to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is complete, and it now does include a top 100 prospect from the Los Angeles Dodgers going the other direction. Jeter Downs, the shortstop slash second baseman, uh, who is actually already reported to Major League Camp with the Red Sox. He is on the move east in that deal. Bruce Dark Gratterall who was initially supposed to be part of that trade from the Minnesota Twins to the Boston Red Sox, instead goes to the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Twins pulling out of the three-team framework. Then the Dodgers were supposed to be trading Jock Peterson to the Angels. That fell apart. It's all kinds of weird things. And it goes to show you that these deals are super complicated, uh, and every once in a while they're not going to go down the exact way that they appear in initial reports. Uh, But, Sam, when you look at where this deal leaves all of these teams, obviously the Dodgers make out like bandits uh and the uh, the red sox mentions uh been a little bit ugly um what uh what is your biggest takeaway from this as you look at the the way this deal was finally finalized yeah so that was it was interesting last week in in that we all had this reaction of okay the red sox are getting rid of mookie Betts and uh david price two world series champions mookie Betts in the prime of his career arguably uh Definitely a top five player, possibly even a top two player, uh, depending on how you see him and his potential. But, um, you know, getting rid of him and David Price, a pretty good pitcher when he's healthy for Alex Verdugo and Brewster Gatterall, end of sentence. Um, a lot of it had to do with getting rid of salary for, for this year, getting under the uh, the luxury tax, resetting their luxury tax penalties, all that kind of stuff. So that there's benefits beyond that but it it in terms of the baseball return what we can see immediately it didn't look great now that being said after time went along and apparently something popped up in the the physicals for Brewster Gratterall we don't officially know what that is uh it's a little bit of a shame that now Brewster Gratterall has to carry something around in his career that was the Red Sox thought they were getting somebody they could be as, as a starter. They saw something in his physicals that made them think, okay, this guy is probably going to be a reliever. A lot of people thought that anyway. Uh, the Twins even outright said, hey, Bruiser Gratterall is going to be a reliever for us to begin with. Uh, there must have been something wrong with that. We do know he has an injury history. Uh, so maybe something popped up there and, and the Red Sox thought, OK, we really need to limit him. If that's going to be the case, the ceiling on him is much lowered. We need a little bit more. The Dodgers were obviously super motivated to get this deal done. Uh, you don't want to get this close to Mookie Betts and, and not see it through. So they end up shaping a deal in which they still trade Kenta Maeda, uh to the Twins. Instead of the Twins sending Gratterall to the Red Sox, they send him to the Dodgers instead. And then the Dodgers get rid of 
uh, Jeter Downs and Connor Wong as well, a catching prospect, uh, along with Alex Verdugo. So now the Red Sox are getting three players instead of two. You can make the case that the Red Sox are getting the better prospect in Jeter Downs than Gratterall, even before we knew whether Gratterall can be a starting pitcher or a reliever. Uh, Jeter Downs coming off a, a breakout season last year. Uh, he's entering 2020 as MLB.com's number 44 overall prospect. I know some other places actually disagree with whether he's a top 50 prospect or maybe even top 100 uh, because you know last year what he showed – at Class A Advanced Rancho Cucamonga in Double A Tulsa, is that he can hit for power. He hit 24 home runs. He can steal a couple bases. He stole 24 there. Uh, he had an OPS of 888. So overall, the offensive package was pretty good. But when you look at the individual tools, nothing might grade out as plus. He's got a lot, a lot of 55s on that 2080 scale. He's got a decent amount of 50s. Uh, the speed isn't great, so you, he's not a guarantee to steal 20 plus bags every year, even though he's a smart base runner. Uh, there's some question about where's his future defensive home. He played a lot of shortstop, played a little bit of second base. I bet the Red Sox see him as the long-term solution at second base uh, because Xander Bogarts, they signed to an extension. They would love to ha- keep him there for a long time. Uh, but we'll see how that works out. They just traded Mookie Betts, so who are we to say what they're going to do with Xander Bogarts in a couple of years? Um, but anyway, so... The Red Sox pick up an additional prospect who's actually ranked higher. They get another one in Connor Wong. They still get Alex Verdugo. Now, what are the Dodgers getting in Gratterall? Uh, what are they they're getting, by all indications, is going to be a, a reliever right away. Um, they're going to keep the Twins' plan and, and plug him into that bullpen. But Gratterall could be a very, very good reliever right now. Uh, his... Fastball is really well talked about at this point. We know he hits triple digits. There's a good amount of sync to that fastball as well. It moves in the zone incredibly difficult uh, to pick up and hit. He also has a plus slider. Those two pitches alone are going to make him work in the back end of the Los Angeles bullpen. So the Dodgers not only are getting their new starting right fielder and one of their you know, new starting five rotation uh, pitchers, they're also getting potentially an elite reliever. Uh, it's pretty good work if you can get it. Uh, you know, Obviously, they're not that worried about staying under the luxury tax right now. This is a club that has come close several times in the last couple of years to winning a World Series. They acquired pieces to get them over that hump, and Gratterall is a very big piece in this trade. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Kenta Maeda makes the Twins' rotation better for sure. Uh, but in terms of what the, the Dodgers needed most, it was probably that bullpen arm. Now they get one. Uh, maybe someday we see Gratterall take over for Kenley Jansen as the closer in L.A. But, uh, yeah, you have to really like this deal right now for the Dodgers. And it's going to be on the Red Sox to prove that, um, you know, A, Jeter Downs can be a longtime player there. And he's not just somebody who's going to bop around the infield, uh, utility type, somebody like they've already gone through with Michael Chavis. Uh, although I think Downs has a little bit of a higher ceiling than Chavis did, a better hit tool for sure. Uh, and how are they going to spend these savings? Now they're back under the luxury tax. They can spend more next offseason. What are they going to do? How are they going to spend that money? How are they going to get competitive again? Because right now they're looking a distant third in the AL East behind the Rays and the Yankees uh, with a, a path to contention looking a lot more difficult than it did a couple weeks ago. 
Strike two this week. Uh, the farm systems, uh, our system rankings continue along. Uh, we've been looking at pitchers and uh, position players and overall uh, talent and under-21 talent, all that stuff coming up to the site and already on the site. Uh, position players, farm system rankings this week, not really a surprise who the best system in baseball is in this category. Yeah, so this this is a fun series we do every year. It's pretty much staff-wide, uh, dividing it up. Uh, we did position players this week. Uh, we're going to break down pitchers next week, as, as Tyler mentioned, and then we're going to do 21 and under talent uh, in then a couple weeks, and then I'll wrap it all up with the overall. So we're we go we're going to go through many different levels of breaking this all down. If your favorite organization doesn't rank highly for position players, there's a decent chance their strength is in pitching, and uh, they'll feature high there, and then we'll you know, put all the numbers together and see how everybody comes together in the overall slot. But as Tyler mentioned, not a huge surprise, I don't think, for the number one slot here for position player prospects. We went with the Chicago White Sox at number one. A lot of that has to do with the ceilings of their three best prospects right now. Luis Robert, we've talked about a ton on this podcast, was our MILB.com uh, Offensive Player of the Year last year. Was one of two players in all of minor league baseball with at least 30 homers and 30 stolen bases. I know there's some questions about the hit tool and what's going to happen with him with breaking stuff at the next level, uh, but the power is going to play. The run tool is going to play. His defensive work is going to play in center field in Chicago. Uh, really exciting there. And then behind him, you have Andrew Vaughn, who was last year's third overall pick uh might be one of the most exciting first base prospects we have in the game and behind him we have nick madrigal who might be the most exciting second base prospect we have in the game uh an elite hit tool out of madrigal very little power vaughn has a lot of power pretty good hit tool obviously he's going to be stuck to first base but the offensive game should certainly work for him that's what makes him a top 20 overall prospect when you have three players in the top 40 that speaks to you know a really strong system I think the depth falls off pretty hard after that. This isn't necessarily them running away with it. Uh, but there's there are some players to like, especially in the outfield. They've got Luis Alexander Basabe, Blake Rutherford, M- Micker Adolfo. Uh, Gavin Sheets is also a first baseman. We saw Zach Collins reach the majors last year. they got to figure out whether he's going to be a catcher or a first baseman. Uh, but the bat has been pretty good in his first couple of years as a pro. There's some depth here, but the reason why we're sticking with the White Sox at one is because of – those top three they, they, they just run away with it in terms of top threes when we look at position players number two we, we went with the seattle mariners again the top prospects in the system are very very talented jared kelnick and, and julio rodriguez leading the way there also claiming evan white and noel the Marte, uh, some exciting players there. Tampa Bay Rays slot in, slot in at number three. Wander Franco is going to get any organization he's in uh, into the top five regardless. Uh, we really like the Rays for their infield depth. Uh, I've talked about this before. Vidal Brujan, Xavier Edwards, Greg Jones, uh, the, all of those guys, they're going to have to figure out who's going to be playing shortstop, who's going to be playing second base, and who's even potentially playing the outfield. Uh, that's going to be really interesting to watch. But they've got other interesting Interesting names like Ronaldo Hernandez behind the plate. And we still have to technically count Brendan McKay as a hitter uh, until the Rays say he's definitively a one-way player as a pitcher. He still counts as a hitter, so we're going to toss him in there as well. Uh, I wish it was a little bit more diverse. I wish it all wasn't pretty much at second base and and shortstop. Yeah, Josh Lowe is pretty exciting uh, as well as an outfielder, but um, 
if it was a little bit more diverse, maybe we would have pushed the Rays above the Mariners. We chose not to do that. San Francisco Giants with their big three of Joey Bart, Marco Luciano, uh, and Elliot Ramos slot in at number four. Hunter Bishop's another one to watch in that system as their first-round pick. And at number five, we have Minnesota Twins. Uh, they have a big three as well, and Royce Lewis, Alex Karoloff, and Trevor Larnick uh, did a fun story last week on Trevor Larnick and how he's looking to pump up his power to the point where he can help out the Twins, who set a major league record for home runs last year. Uh, just to fill out the rest of the, the ten, other ten, we have the Braves at six, the Dodgers at seven. That's after the trade, so that doesn't count Peter Downs. Uh, San Diego Padres at eight, Los Angeles Angels at nine, and Miami Marlins of at number 10 we have the other breakouts or breakdowns at 11 through 20 and 21 through 30 uh please check those out find where your favorite organization is uh a lot of thought went into this we tried to break it down in the blurbs but if you have any questions or want to make any arguments back at us you know where to find us on twitter uh like i said pictures coming out next week and we'll discuss that more on the show uh this time seven days from now and strike three for this week's 244th episode of the show before the show. Uh, one of our listener questions from last week, uh, Ethan Cullity. I hope I'm hope I'm getting your last name right, Ethan. Spoiler alert, we've got Benjamin Hill coming up in a little while. I think we say three people's last names who are not players on this episode combined, all of us, and I think we probably got them all wrong. Um, but this is a really good one from Ethan quote with pitchers and catchers reporting shortly and now already in progress. Uh, who are the best prospect batteries, both within an organization and most likely to be an actual pairing during the 2020 season? This is a great question. This is a great question. Uh, one thing that immediately sprung to mind for me, uh, was the Baltimore Orioles and Adley Rushman is obviously the top catching prospect in baseball, uh, Going into the 2020 season, he was the top overall pick last year. What's exciting for me is that the Orioles have already said they expect him to open the year at Class A Advanced Frederick. Uh, also probably going to be starting out the year there is their top pitching prospect in Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, one of the things that makes Rutschman such a well-liked catching prospect is that uh, you know he's worked with good staffs at, at Oregon State. I think he called his own game there. Uh, he's very comfortable with that aspect of the game. He's a good framer. He's a good thrower. Uh, he's going to work well on the defensive side as well as the offensive side. Uh, so Grayson Rodriguez, somebody going into his second full season trying to take that jump. Rodriguez right now is number 36 overall. He's got a good fastball. He's got a good slider. Anytime I talked to him last year, he loved talking about his changeup and development of that pitch to the point where it's now got above average potential. Working with Rutschman every fifth day, I think, is only going to help him. Uh, and for Rutschman, you know, having an elite pitcher to work with, I think, is going to keep him excited at Frederick because, you know, everybody around baseball is expecting him to be a fast mover. Uh, there's even the, the potential. I know they said Frederick, but I still think there's potential. He starts out the year at double-A buoy. Um, we'll see how that goes. But as of right now, pairing up your top pitching prospect with your top position player prospect uh, in a battery should be very exciting for Baltimore at a time when their system could use any and all excitement that it can get. So the, that's the one I'm going to keep an eye on. One of the others I'll throw out, it's actually two that I'll throw out because they're on the same team. We expect Sean Murphy to open the year uh, with the A's. Uh, he's a very, very good defensive catcher. That's what drives his prospect status. We also expect Jesus Luzardo and A.J. Puck to open the year with the A's in their starting rotation. Uh, a lot, of, Both of those tandems 
uh, have played together in the past, especially last year at AAA Las Vegas for brief times and up in the majors when they both got their, uh, you know, their cameos there in September. Getting deepening that relationship, getting to work together at the highest level uh, it should be very, very exciting for Oakland fans. I know the A's have been mentioned this week about continuing to look for catching help, maybe allowing Murphy to be brought on a little bit more slowly. But at some point, we expect Puck and Luzardo to throw to Murphy while they're in the rotation. Uh, and that should be very exciting uh, in a what's looking like a more and more crowded AL West. And one foul ball. Another listener question, uh, and this is the first person I believe uh, in my podcasting life for whom I will now have helped answer questions on two podcasts. But uh, Austrian baseball fan Nikki Paumi, who lives in Vienna, and uh, like some of us, is uh, sentenced to life as a Rockies fan. And our apologies to Nikki for that. Um, Nikki asks, "Quote, and I, I want to point something out. Uh, this is a question about a team." Uh, or a family uh, vacation that Nikki's family will be taking in July to Cooperstown. Nikki had like another family vacation. I think they were like going to Paris or somewhere amazing. And he managed to talk his family out of that trip and talk them into going to Cooperstown for Larry Walker being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, Nikki's awesome. And from Nikki in Vienna, Austria, his question, quote, during our trip to Cooperstown, hashtag watcher and Walker HOF, we're planning to visit Hartford and the Yard Goats as well. I'm sure it'll be great fun. Any advice for our MILB debut? Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more broad strokes as well, in addition to this question about um, just the things you should experience at any minor league game. Yeah, so uh, what are the first things? What, do, Tyler, Like, where do you look to sit? Because I was actually talking to Ben about this. Uh, he's planning a trip to Fenway. He's never been before hopefully that's okay that i spilled that secret but uh so i told him where to sit in fenway but let's just say you have a generic minor league park and minor league parks are much smaller than major league parks obviously you could sit anywhere where are you looking to sit i like sitting down the baselines um and you know the nice thing about going to a minor league games it's so much more affordable than going to a major league game if you're trying to attend a a game at fenway and sit in the first level behind one of the dugouts or something you're going to be paying uh the same cost as what you'll pay for a week in a hotel um but the thing that i love about going to minor league games is for a very affordable price you can get a seat behind one of the dugouts or uh down the line somewhere um and that's what i like especially if I'm in a place where I know that there is a backdrop, if I'm going to a game in Charlotte or something like that, uh, and in Hartford it would be somewhat the same. That down the third base side, you've had you've got the the skyline kind of behind uh, right field. It's more behind, I believe, the first base side ish uh, in Hartford. But something that has a view to it enables you to take in the whole scope uh, of the ballpark. If you're just serious about watching the game itself, if you just want to be there for baseball, by all means, grab seats behind the plate. I think it's a a great idea too. Um, But there's so much more to a minor league game than just being there for the baseball itself. And that's one of the greatest things about minor league baseball. Um, For Hartford, that ballpark is so cool and it's so quirky. One of my favorite areas, and I've only been there I think twice um, but there is uh, an area in right field that actually hangs over the field because the way the ballpark is constructed, it's like an old-school Tiger Stadium kind of thing where the second level of seats, there's a slight overhang over the warning track. Those seats are cool, and the seats right under, uh, which are actually – 
protected from the field by a net because of how close that right field line is. Uh, and I believe, if memory serves, the ball is playable off of that netting in front of that lower level of seats in right field. But those are really cool. Those are both really cool areas uh, in Hartford. There's a barbecue stand uh, down the left field line. I think Bears Barbecue or something like that. The dude is like famous in Hartford for uh, the, the barbecue that he makes. And I will admit it's very good. I'm not like a not from Kansas City or Texas or wherever. I'm not arrogant about barbecue. I just love all barbecue. But I can say that barbecue is, like, legitimately good barbecue. Um, the Nectar of the Goats beers that are uh, only sold uh, at Yard Goats games and uh, I think are only sold on tap at all at Yard Goats games and are only sold in any uh, form in Hartford. Um, that beer is fantastic, so you got to do that when you're in Hartford. Um, but, uh, yeah, there is a lot of really cool stuff to do in Hartford. It's kind of a cheat code for Nikki because he, being a member of Rocky's Twitter, he is aware of at the Susie Hunter, who is the basically chamber of commerce president for Hartford and for the yard goats. Um, so that's, you know, you get a, you get all the good recommendations there, but those are, um, from a Hartford perspective and an MILB perspective, that's the kind of night you got to have at a game. Yeah, the the two things I will throw out real quick is that if you do want to sit behind the plate, um, I do kind of recommend it because it's it's easier to watch pitchers. You're you're rarely going to get an opportunity like if you're going to go to a major league game, you're never unless you're much more loaded than any of us can ever dream to be. It's going to be difficult for you to sit behind home plate and see the shape of pitches. Right. And minor league games, that's so much easier. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about how somebody throws a slider or how they throw a curveball. You're going to be able to see that. And guess what? A lot of scouts are going to sit back there. Uh, you'll know them based on their polo shirts, their slacks, and their radar guns uh, and their notes. Uh, sometimes they they don't have radar guns anymore because of Rapsodo or Trackman or whatever. But um, – you know, it's kind of fun to sit amongst the scouts and become an amateur scout for a couple hours. Uh, so that's kind of fun. And sometimes I've been to games in Brooklyn where, you know, the opposing team or even the Cyclones pitchers themselves are tracking pitches uh, behind home plate. So yeah. you might be sitting next to a team's top pitching prospect. The who last night has the starter, night somebody like that. Yeah, who's just sitting there and, and just keeping notes the whole time. And, you know, they'll usually talk to you. Uh, as long as you're not that distracting. So that that's a pretty cool opportunity, something to keep in mind. Uh, wherever you go, wherever you go to watch a game. And also, I, you know, this is more Ben's territory, but the way minor league stadiums are designed now with these open concourses, seriously, go out and walk around. Yeah. Uh, it is so cool to have that opportunity to be anywhere in the park and be able to take in the game uh, no matter where you are. You know, if you have kids, a lot of these places have playgrounds now. That's to keep them engaged. I know I'm supposed to tell you, no, sit in your seat, uh, pay attention to the game the whole yeah, time. No. What are you doing? But these really what are experiences that you can take in. Yeah, uh, and, and take advantage of that. Go walk around. Maybe find uh, a barbecue place that you wouldn't have otherwise in your section or something like that. So, uh, a lot of fun opportunities to to go. And you, you never get your first minor league game back, so make the most of it when you can. There's also, uh, Sam mentioned playgrounds, which they do have, I believe, in uh, in left field at Hartford. They have, uh, behind the center field wall, they have actual goats that you can pet. There's an actual pen. There's like a local animal conservancy group that brings goats by for uh, yard goats home games. Um, so you can go uh, actually pet goats. 
Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's just – and Hartford's a great place to experience your first minor league game because that ballpark is so cool. Um but there are so many of those just gems around the minor leagues now. Uh, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, like Sam said, go to a game, get good food, walk around and take in the game from various vantage points, meet the mascots, do funny promotions, do on-field games if you can, which I guarantee in in somebody like Nikki's case and anybody else who uh, is listening to the podcast from abroad, if you get in touch with the front office of a minor league organization and tell them, I'm coming from Austria uh, with my family to come to your team's game, I guarantee you they're going to roll out the red carpet for you. Uh, so there's a little life hack for any international fans <laughs> um, who are planning on headed to a, a minor league game. And uh, Nikki, I'll see you in Cooperstown because uh, I'm planning on being there that weekend as well. Um, and that will do it for three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, coming up, Sam had another interview subject for this week. Sam laid out for us. Yeah, so th- this week being – Pitchers and Catchers Week. I wanted to get a pitcher and or a catcher. Uh, so we got a pitcher from the New York Yankees organization, uh, one who's coming off a fascinating season, somebody who jumped into the top 100 for the first time at number 88 overall. It's Clark Schmidt. Uh, if anybody's been following his career the last couple of years, he had Tommy John surgery before the 2017 draft, uh, spent most of 2017 and 2018 rehabbing from that, came back in 2019, pitched above 90 innings for the first time in his pro career showed some really good stuff good results as well uh really another promising arm in that yankee system that is full of them so he just arrived not just arrived he's been actually there for a while as you'll hear him discuss but uh he's somebody who is now in big league camp he's a non-roster invitee uh, we talk about that what it's like to be there right now as a yankee uh, and, and much, much more coming up here. So this is me speaking to Clark Schmidt. Joining us this week on the Minor League Baseball Podcast is number 88 overall prospect, according to MLB.com, and Yankees pitcher Clark Schmidt calling it in from Tampa, Florida. He's already been down there for a little while, even though this is the big pitchers and catchers week. Clark, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, this is great. And and obviously, pitchers and catchers is one of the most optimistic terms in all of sports. And, and you being a pitcher, we wanted to grab you this week. Uh, we were talking a little bit off mic about how you've actually been down in Tampa working out with the Yankees for a couple weeks now. You've been there since the end of January. Uh, but kind of take us through this first week. I mean, uh, a lot of people hear pitchers and catchers, and they think everybody shows up and just starts working out. Like I said, you've been down there for a while. What is your experience so far in Tampa? Yeah, so, I mean, everybody, yeah, like you said, they hear pitchers and catchers, and they're like, oh, okay, everybody's showing up that day. But um, majority of the guys, especially the younger guys, I mean, I would pretty much say majority of the team, they, they show up they show up earlier. I mean, we had a big crop of guys come down around January 28th just to, like, get acclimated and – kind of get your feet in the water before you just get thrown into the fire. You don't want to just go like show up on February 12th and just say, all right, I'm here. Like, let's go throw. Um, so I've been down here. We've been throwing bullpens and uh, we've had uh, some guys have had some live BPs and stuff like that. Um, but now this first week is like the first week starting today was the first day that we moved across the street to the major league side. Um, so now it's strictly like, Normally, before, you, you were mixed in with all the minor leaguers and everybody who's going to be in spring training. So it's a bunch of guys down there, and it's really it, – sometimes it gets chaotic with all the – so much foot traffic. Um, so now this is the first official week of everybody across the street, 
everybody kind of meeting meeting the new people and and just going from there and um so yeah we'll be throwing bullpens and pfps and uh, a lot of meetings and stuff like that just getting to know each other and um kind of getting the ball rolling and kicking it down the hill and then going from there yeah, and it's interesting you bring up moving across the street because for anybody who's ever been to Tampa, it's a little bit different of a spring training co- complex situation. The minor leaguers work right. out about a mile down the road. Uh, I've, I've done that walk plenty springs now. What is it like now being an on-roster <laughs> invite uh, to spring training, now being on the major league side, walking into George Steinbrenner Field, being surrounded by Garrett Cole and Masahiro Tanaka, big names now. How much of a difference is that for you in just a couple of days' time? Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing for me to get my uh, – this is my first big league invite, so I'm obviously stoked about it. And just to be able to be around these guys and kind of learn from them and uh, just to watch their routines and uh, you kind of just to try to be like a sponge and kind of adapt it all in. And um, just to be – you know, being around these guys, it kind of motivates you, obviously. Um, but you want to you want to fit in. You want to feel like you're one of them. And I already, I mean, you know, I feel I'm comfortable. I feel like every day it's just another day of showing up at the ballpark for me. Um, I just get to do it with a with a lot bigger names and a lot of names that are more household than I normally am dealing with. Um, so for me, it's a lot of fun just to be around these guys, um, guys that you you watch on TV every day, and you they're such a big market, and you all, they're always their names always around. Um, so to be able to be around them every day is so much fun. And um, like I said, I, I'm already comfortable with it and. It's, it just feels like an every, another day at the park for me. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear you talk about life as a first-time non-roster invitee. Uh, I, I feel like this is an interesting time to be in Yankees camp. Obviously, a lot of time for optimism there. But the rotation has a few questions. You being a starting pitcher, I know you only just got to Trenton at the end of last year. But wh- how do you approach being a non-roster invitee? Do you feel like there's any sliver for you to get in there, in, into the rotation, into the major right. conversation? Yeah, so for me, like, I'm not – I don't sit there and – I try not to think about – I try to control what I can control. Like, it's easier said than done. Um, but for me, you know, my whole experience is, you know, it's not weighing on the fact that if I'm in the rotation or not. Like, I'm here to, you know, to open the eyes that I need to open, to show these guys that, I, you know, I can pitch at this level and I, and I, I, I belong here. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to prove myself and make a name for myself. But in the same hand, I'm not trying to, you know, overdo it and do, be be that guy who's just trying to do too much and too early. And, you know, it's it's a marathon for sure. But I definitely – I feel like I belong here. So, like, I, if, if you don't feel like you're, you belong here, then who, who else is going to feel like you can, you can pitch at this level? So, if I don't – so, I believe in myself more than anyone else does, obviously. So, I think that, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't have an opportunity at all. But – if there's a if there's a small sliver of chance or hope, then that's all I need um, for me to just wake up every day and say, all right, I'm gonna go out here and give it my best, and whatever I can control, I can control, and um, whatever's out of my hands, you know, I, I let those guys decide and make those decisions. But I want to make sure that I make the right impressions and uh, open the right eyes, and and just so I can uh, maybe give them a second thought about who who they're thinking for the rotation. Mm, cool. So we're getting you at an interesting time in that. Your career has been a fascinating one so far, and we'll get into the origins of it a little bit later, but you're somebody who's coming off a season in which you set a career high with 90 and two-thirds innings uh, between Tampa, Trenton, and a little bit of time in the GCL. What was this offseason like just being 
fully healthy again, getting prepared to potentially break 100 innings for the first time. Uh, you know, what was the right. prep leading up to this moment? Yeah, so it was, I mean, it was great to be able to have my first healthy offseason. I felt like, for me, like my whole career, college, even, lead, you know, all the way leading up to my Tommy John that I had my junior year of college, it was always, you know, I was always healthy. So I would always get those 120, 100, you know, those high 100 inning seasons. And so I always knew how to take those off seasons. And I knew what I was going to get myself into every year. And then when I had the Tommy John, um, obviously it throws a kink in the mix a little bit. But then it was, you know, I after I came back from that, it was like kind of I had it in a time where I was like dealing with half an off season with Tommy John and then half an off season with not having it, uh, going like to the rehab process and stuff like that. So for me to have my first full healthy off season, it was it's amazing just to be able to like knock out and do the every exercise and all the workouts that I that I want to do without feeling limited. Um, making sure I do my due diligence as far as arm care and stuff like that, uh, and my throwing programs and stuff like that. It's been it's been great to have a full healthy off season and to come into camp feeling good and and just ready to you know just to stay healthy and, and get my innings that I need to get this year to to prove myself for sure. And other than just a fresher feeling every morning when you wake up and not having to worry about that elbow, what are you able to do differently now in terms of when you do work in your bullpens and you do work on the field, whether it's PFPs, other things? How does it fundamentally change what you're able to do just now here on February 12th that you weren't doing one year or two years ago? Yeah, I mean, you can't – it's like you said, it's a little bit limited when you're – when you have the, the rehab, it's your throws are – whether it's effort or mechanics, I mean, a lot of it changes when you're doing PFPs and stuff like that and your bullpen work when you're rehabbing, you can't really, it's not like you don't, you don't have Tommy John and you're like, uh, you're eight months out and you're like, okay, I'm going to work on my breaking ball. Like you, it's, it's, you have a strict program. It's mainly fastball changeups for a long time. And then it's like, you, you kind of, you, you have Bambi legs and you're, you're walking into it real slow. Uh, but now I can, you know, I can go, I can have a full bullpen where I'm just like, all right, I'm going to work on only changeups today and I'm going to work on only two seams up and in or whatever it may be. You can actually sit down and have a formulated plan and kind of attack it. And that's the biggest thing for me is like pitch development and stuff like that. And just like feel on the mound is so much more comfortable now just because I'm off the mound so much more than when I was, uh, just throwing like 30 fastballs at like 60% or whatever it was when you're, when you're rehabbing, it's so strict. Now I have the freedom to, you know, to work on my pitches and develop myself as on the mound. Mm. And uh, like we mentioned before, you hinted at it with Tommy John surgery. Kind of take us through that process going into the 2017 draft. The Yankees come calling it at number 16, which is a little bit on the high side. It felt like people, they were taking a chance on you. What were you thinking about going into the draft, knowing that the surgery was a possibility? And, um, you know, what is it like just starting your pro career like that automatically on the shelf, automatically rehabbing? Yeah, so it was tough. That process was, like, very, very, you know, mentally it's just so grueling um, for everyone, for me, my family. It was just, you know, we didn't really know what to, what was, what to expect because it doesn't really happen. I mean, I had Tommy John a month before – uh, the draft. So like, it's, it's very unheard of. I mean, I, I know Eric Fede and a couple 
a couple other guys, Hoffman, they had it before the draft, and they were projected in the first round, and then, you know, they had their Tommy John, and they still ended up going in the first round. So we kind of had some feel for it. Uh, the closer the draft got, the more I was kind of, like, comfortable, and I understood teams. I had a lot of teams that were open to taking me uh, in the first round, so I knew I was kind of going to go around in that area somewhere, whether it was the middle of the first round where the Yankees took me or, or in the later half. Um I knew somebody was – I knew there was a lot of teams interested and they weren't scared off by the surgery. So that was that was a comfortable feeling for me. But then uh, after they took gave me that opportunity, which I'm so thankful for because, I, I mean, it worked out better for me because I knew uh, at the time I was pitching really well. I was throwing the ball well. I was throwing – my stuff was better than – I mean, at the time it was better than it ever has. Um, so I knew I was going to go high in the draft, and I knew if I was hurt, I wouldn't have never had that opportunity with the Yankees. So to be able to follow them – because uh, of the injury and, and being able to have – being such a great organization who values me and uh, values so much like pitch development and so many so many other aspects of my game, uh, it's it's amazing. But for me, when I got started with the Yankees and I was on the shelf, it was just like it's so great. I mean, like I – it's it's hard because I'm so competitive and I'm a guy that wants to go, go, go and always wants to prove myself. And I knew – I knew where I, I should have been and I knew where I, I belong and I knew I could have pitched at the upper levels uh, at a quicker time and I knew I can get out and significant outs at, at higher levels, but I, I couldn't do that because I wasn't healthy. And I proved myself my whole college career to these to all the, the player development guys and stuff like that who, who drafted me, but everybody in the organization doesn't really – they know who I am, they know who I was drafted high, but they don't – they're like, oh, okay, we just drafted a guy who's hurt, like – why do we why do we do this? So for me that motivated me when I was doing all my rehab, I was like nobody nobody really, really knew how how good I could be or how good I was just because I was hurt the whole time. So for me I used that as motivation and when I um when I finally got back healthy I was I was like, All right, I've proved my name I've proven my name, you know, kinda of in the outside and before the draft and now I wanna make a name for myself now. Um, so it was an amazing feeling just to be able to go out there every day and show my stuff and, and Proved to myself, you know, where I think I belong and where I can belong, and uh, it was good to open those eyes and, and and prove to them that they made the right choice by uh, taking me in the first round with that with that pick, and it was it was fun. It's a lot of fun. It still is fun, you know, to be able to to continue to prove prove those guys and those teams that uh, that didn't take me. That's not necessarily didn't take me, but a team that did take me and they gave me an opportunity. I want to continue to prove to them that you know they made the right choice. Mm. And that happened in 2017. You spent 2018 mostly rehabbing in the GCL. You made two starts at Staten Island. Like we mentioned last year was the season where you really felt back on the scene. But what was your welcome back moment? What moment last year signaled to you that, hey, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go full bore again. Uh, I mean, everybody, you know, obviously for me the moment was um, the first game. I mean, the first game of the year, opening day, I was I threw like I had like five perfect innings with like nine strikeouts. Um, that was obviously like okay I'm here moment like you guys need to you know I'm here to I'm not I'm here to stay like kind of opening eyes type of moment. But I, I I would say for me the was just my whole experience in Trenton um, up in Double A like when you're kind of in the high A and you're in the when you haven't made a double A everybody's like oh double A is where you make your name and it's like if you can get double A outs you can get major league outs. So for me to be able to go up there and ha- and have the uh, 
the success I had up there and those consistent outings, outing after outing, and be able to string together like a—I don't remember the exact scoreless streak, but it was somewhere around 20 or so innings I had scoreless. And to be able to go out there and, and get those outs and prove myself at that level was such an amazing feeling. So I think that was more so the moment for me that I was like, okay, I'm here, um, like I'm ready to go, and I—I I, I feel good. So that was—I would say that for sure. Yeah, and just to prove you right there, you mentioned your first outing last year. It was five perfect innings with exactly nine strikeouts, so your memory is very good. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Trenton. Uh, during the regular season, you made three starts there. You struck out 19. You walked only one. Your postseason numbers on, on way to helping them win an Eastern League title were pretty similar. Uh, like you said, double A is the moment when you feel like you arrived, but your control numbers were really good against upper level hitters, uh, especially coming off injuries. What allowed you to fill up the zone that well against, you know, like I said, double right. A hitters? Yeah, so I've always been a control guy, like my whole life. Even when I was growing up, actually, I was a guy who never really threw hard. And even in high school, I never, I mean, I was a high 80s guy, low 90s. and. I never really threw hard. I could always just throw break. I could throw all my breaking pitches for strikes. I could throw changeup, breaking ball, whatever I wanted to do. I could always throw it for strikes. And then I started throwing hard towards the latter years of my college career, and it was like, oh, okay, now I can do both. And so that kind of made me the complete pitcher where I had I had the I had the stuff, and then I also had the command because I had the command first. Uh, but then when I had the surgery, it kind of you know it messed a little things up. So it kind of it, it took a while for me to get my feet back under me just mechanically to feel like where I was so in sync where I could go out there every time and, you know, and, and throw consistent, not consi- not only consistent strikes, but could just put it where I want to. Um, so for me in Tampa, it was, it was harder uh, to throw a lot more. I, I mean, my walk numbers were higher than they'd normally typically been in my career. Um, not that they were crazy high, but they, it was just, it was, a, it was definitely an adjustment period for me. And then when I got to Trenton, the zone, yes, the zone's a lot tighter and the hitters, they don't swing at a lot, you know, they don't chase as much. So for me, I was, I was like, all right, I'm not going to get these hitters out by just trying to blow them up with, with good stuff. I was like, I'm going to stay in the zone, use my stuff that I have and, and make them, make them miss where I wanted to make them miss. And, you know, I got my swing and misses and I got good strikeout rates, but the main thing for me was I, I had, you know, my walk numbers were so low, and that was just because I was I was keeping it in the zone, and I was going to make them do the damage, and, and them them get the outs there. And you talked about developing your stuff and trusting your stuff. Uh, now that you were healthy last year, what do you feel like was the big biggest development on your you know on your arsenal? And specifically, you mentioned breaking ball. I've heard it described as a curveball. Some people say it kind of has slider action. How would you say that pitch has taken steps forward uh, over the last 12 months? Yeah, so in college I threw a curveball and slider, um, and then when I got to pro ball they were like, let's let's just focus on the curveball because like the metrics on it were just so much better than the the slider and the 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 shape difference wasn't there wasn't a significant shape difference in both of them. Um, so then I banged the slider and the more I in my breaking ball in college was like my curveball was always like seventy eight to eighty like it wasn't it was it was sharp but it wasn't like fast, and then the more I started throwing it and I didn't throw my slider, my arm speed, you know, it got harder and harder. So now it's like, it, it does have that slider shape, but I kind of manipulate it in two different ways. Um, for me earlier in the counts, or if I'm trying to definitely throw it for a strike, I normally, it normally has more curveball shape. Um, and it can be, it's normally typically around like the 83 miles an hour, 84. 
And then when I'm trying to really let it like rip, either if it's later in the counts or if I'm trying to get it for a chase pitch, um, it will typically be like more sliderish, uh, more slurvish, and have uh, like more like 85, 86. Um, so it's a lot, it's a lot faster. But um, the the sharpness of it has ticked up so much. I mean, I threw. I mean, I was in a live BP the other day. It was my first live BP, and I was spinning it around like uh like 3,000 plus, which is for me to be able to spin it at 3,000 plus consistently is such a huge step. When before, um, whether it be last year or the year before, I would spin it around 2,700, 2,800. So for me to be consistently get it around 29, 3,000 is is a big step for me. And and then the changeup also has taken a huge leaps. I mean, it's, you know, it's probably – I thought it was my best pitch in Trenton uh, when I was using it up there in the upper levels, and I was getting a lot of swing and misses on it. I was throwing it to righties and lefties, and um, I was able to do a lot more than what I was was doing with it before uh, Tommy John. Mm. And one thing I want to touch on real quick, because I haven't seen this fully explained everywhere, I heard there there was an elbow reconstruction in there, but you missed time last year on the IL about five weeks in the middle of the season – rehabbed a little bit in the GCL, went back to Tampa. What happened in that time, and how were you able to recover so well uh, in the middle of the season? Yeah, I mean, it was – so it was kind of like – this. that was my first full year after Tommy John, so things do pop up. Like, I wasn't uh, – what I had was like a little forearm inflammation that was kind of like – it had a little nerve stuff with it. It was like pitching on a nerve kind of, and it was, it was, it was just inflammation in my forearm, basically what it was, uh, that was aggravating it. Um, so yeah, I had like a two week, no throw period. It wasn't any area of concern. They, you know, everything was clean. All the results were fine. Um, two week, no throw. And then I built up from there. Um, and you know, actually that period after, after having the, that sit down was, I came back so much stronger that second half. I remember coming back off the DL and I was throwing harder than I threw the whole, my whole career all my my breaking pitches were you know the spin rates all the metrics on my pitches were were spiking up and that was i guess i don't know whether it was from the rest or what it was from um but you know i just felt healthy uh that whole second half and it was good to to be able to get that you know you you obviously don't want to go on the dl but for what it was and for me to be able to get back on the field quickly um is such a good thing because you know when you go on there it's typically at least at least a month when you at least go on a dl but for me to get back quick enough to to be on the field uh for the second half was was huge for me Hmm. and as we look forward to 2020 like we mentioned this is your first time as a non-roster invitee to spring so you've got that hurdle to kind of clear first we don't know where you're going to end up to begin the season yet but when you look forward at the next six seven months how are you going to define what is a successful 2020 season yeah for me it's really just you know i want to be healthy um i want to be able to go out there and get consistent starts week in and week out get my innings uh reach go over 100 inning mark again this year to be able to do that back-to-back years i want to get you know i finished with like 106 or something innings last year including the playoffs um, so for me this year, I want to, you know, I want to be that 130 guy, 140, whatever it is. Um, I want to be healthy, and then obviously I want to, I want to make it to the major leagues. I want to, I think, I, you know, I believe in myself, and I know, I know I can get significant outs up there, and I know what I'm capable of doing, and you know, I have full faith that I'm able to go up there and, and have success. And so for me, I want to be able to get up there this year and, and show those guys that I can do that and I can contribute to the team and. Um, maybe contribute to a playoff push for sure. All right, so we'll end on this note, Clark. 
as somebody who spent a lot of time rehabbing down there, playing in the GCL, playing in the Florida State League, I would imagine you know Tampa pretty well at this point. Uh, for Yankees fans or just baseball fans in general who are going to be taking some time the next couple of weeks traveling down to spring training, what are your biggest Tampa recommendations? Tampa recommendations? Oh, I mean, there's so many. Um, the best, like, the most popular spot is obviously the International Mall area. Um, the, my favorite thing about Tampa is just the food. Like, the food is so good. Like, they have so many good steakhouses uh, around the, the International Mall area. Like, uh, Doc B's is a good spot. Um, Council Oak and at the Hard Rock. Um, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you don't really want to spend too much too much time here as if you're a Yankee. Just because, you know, that means you're either A, rehabbing or you're down in Tampa and high or whatever it may be. But, yeah, so for me, I spent so much time here. I mean, I, the, the number one spot for me, just enjoying all the food. Uh, so, yeah, I like, you know, all of those. But I would have to probably say my the number one spot to go to for food is, is Council Oak at the Hard Rock. It's, it's next level for sure. All right. Well, as somebody who's planning his own spring training trip now, I'm going to – I'm writing all these down and keeping them. Maybe that was just for yeah. myself. Yeah. But, That's uh, right. <laughs> anyways, whether you, whether you open up uh, at Trenton, Scranton, or even the Bronx uh, this season, best of luck, Clark, and, and thank you so much for joining us. And enjoy the next couple weeks in big, big League Camp. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. So much to get to on this week's uh, conversation with our good pal Benjamin Hill in this week's conversation. Why did I say on this week's conversation? What does that even mean? Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. Hello, Sam. We are sitting here. Uh, this is, um, I will call it the show before the show, After Dark. Ah, <laughs> it is. In, in this time zone, yes. It is. It's, uh, yeah. well, it's snowing here again like it has been every day for the last week and a half. Yeah, we don't oftentimes go with the uh, the evening record time. What's the general vibe around the office right now? Well, around uh, this time, it's it's 6.15 Eastern. Um, you know, there's still people milling about, but definitely the majority of the people who came into this office today have left. Uh, it is a quieter vibe. Things feel more loose, more free. I feel like who knows what could happen on this segment without the constraints of polite society around us. I feel like Ben's voice is like dropped about half an octave just to give off the vibe of him being more relaxed and like this is what he's like when he goes home. It's just much cooler and uh, deeper sounding, more bassy. Yeah, yeah. Like they call me. They call me Count Bassy. <laughs> Who is they? Who are these people? Well, the people them. I hang out with nocturnally. Yeah. <laughs> the nocturnal hangout crew. Yeah. Um, well, let's get started. Uh, there is a batting around column uh, up on the site by the time you get this podcast. Uh, there have been a lot of, we know we go through every offseason, team redesigns and rebrands and all that type of stuff. There have been a lot of stadium name changes this offseason. A lot of ballparks that will be going by different names in the 2020 season and beyond. I know there was just one announced today on uh, Wednesdays we record this the albuquerque isotopes announced a, a new name for their facility but there have been a lot of the i feel like this is way over normal for an off season yeah you know this is not something i've kept track of uh from year to year um but you know in uh i try to do a batting around column uh, every month you know keeping track of ballpark news and it kind of hit me you know as, as sort of boring and sometimes even depressing corporate naming uh corporate names can be for stadiums 
you know, I was just like, this is part of the landscape. And if we're talking about teams that are changing their names and, and new ballparks and defunct ballparks, well, then I think this is all part of it is just saying here is what these things are officially called right now. And uh, as we head into the season, I think it's good to um, – to figure out, you know, what, what ballparks did change names. Um, so, hey, here's a quiz. What ballpark is now known as 121 Financial Ballpark? I'm hoping Tyler has the answer to this. <laughs> you know what I noticed? Actually, we had a, an email that was sent out uh, internally to those of us who uh, write for MILB.com, and it was like, hey, we're keeping track of ballpark name changes here. And I realized there are very few parks that I remember the names of because whenever I'm writing a story, I just look at the box score, and the bottom couple of lines of the box score list like weather, first pitch time, name of the ballpark, official scorer. I don't really remember a whole lot of names. So yeah. I certainly don't know the new ones. Put it that way. Right. Well, 121 Financial Ballpark is uh, Jacksonville, home of the Jumbo Shrimp, formerly the baseball grounds of Jacksonville. That is a new one. So that goes Uh, from no corporate sponsor to now 121, otherwise known as a very confusing double play, uh, 121 Financial Ballpark. That's right. Is that a double play or just the catcher returning the ball back to the pitcher? Yeah, it's just a pitch. Actually, the most common play. Baseball. The most yeah, if you want to have if you want to have the uh, busiest uh, scorebook of all time, and you you score that every <laughs> single just every time. pitch that goes back to the mound. Oh, oh one, and that's a one two one. In the <laughs> yeah, it's very complex. Uh, it score. is not. Yeah, that is not the reference. Uh, we have one two one financial ballpark, uh, uh, formerly the baseball grounds of Jacksonville. That is one of I believe four four credit unions that is now that are now uh, have uh, taken over. Uh, in new ballpark names. Uh, Tyler, you mentioned uh, another one that did not have a corporate name, Isotopes Park uh, in Albuquerque, is now Rio Grande Credit, or is it Rio Grande? Rio oh, Grande is how most people say it out yeah, here, but I Grand. think it, it probably is supposed to be Rio Grande. Just yeah. lean into it then. Do Rio it Grande Credit Union Field in Albuquerque. Uh, another credit union uh, serving the Miami Valley of Ohio, Day Air. That is now Day Air Ballpark. Uh, in so that is Dayton. not an airline. That is a credit union. It's a credit union. Day huh. Air, two words. That used to be uh, one of the f- uh, several fifth third ballparks uh, there in Dayton. And, uh, you know, as I put out in a tweet, the number of fifth third ballparks has been reduced by one third. Uh, there are still two fifth thirds remaining, uh, West Michigan and Toledo. And there is another former fifth third, uh, Kane County. And Dayton now joins Kane County as a former fifth third. They're now Day Air Ballpark. Um, very subtle, if you like uh, subtlety in your ballpark name changes. Um, First Tennessee Park, uh, the home of the Nashville Sounds, opened in 2015. Uh, that company, First Tennessee, you know, did some consolidation and some reorganizing. So the ballpark name change as well. First Horizon. Uh, Sacramento has been known as Rally, Rally Stadium since it opened. That's a Sacramento-based um, supermarket chain. They are now Sutter Health Park, a, uh, a healthcare system in the Sacramento region. And uh, also in the health front, um, Kannapolis, a new ballpark. They just announced their name as Atrium Health Ballpark. So that's a new name we know. Uh, formerly uh, or previously, Rocket City. Rocket City Trash Pandas playing in Madison, Alabama, Greater Huntsville. They announced their name as Toyota Field. Uh, and there's actually a Toyota manufacturing plant in uh, Madison, Alabama. 
So that 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 makes sense. That is one thing I do kind of like about the corporate names. At least they speak usually to a local business or if not a local business one that is prominent in that region itself uh and there's two ballparks we still do not know the name in fredericksburg and wichita so uh, stay tuned for that um but yeah ballpark updates and batting around uh, read all about it and uh, get your lay of the get the a better lay of the land in terms of minor league ballpark names and uh as promo season rolls along lots of new things are coming out almost daily i feel like every every day i'm looking over at you filling out your spreadsheet yeah that adding, spreadsheet's getting bigger and bigger yeah adding team promos as teams announce their schedules but there's one in particular we wanted to highlight this week just because it had us all flustered here in the office uh when it got announced on tuesday february 11th uh and that is the san antonio puffy tacos uh, obviously leaning into the food brand identities for 2020 but what can you tell us about the Puffy Tacos and what the missions, normally the missions, are are doing for 2020 here? Yeah, well, Puffy Tacos are a San Antonio specialty. Um, obviously, there's uh, a lot of Mexican food in San Antonio, but a, a regional favorite in San Antonio is the Puffy Taco. And that is where the tortilla is fried um, and it, and it you know, bubbles up and becomes puffy. So it's basically a standard taco in which a soft tortilla – is fried, puffs up, bubbles up, and then becomes a taco. That's a puffy taco. There is a, um, a famous puffy taco establishment in San Antonio called Henry's Puffy Tacos. Um, I'm not sure if they still have a specific relationship with the team, but they certainly did decades back when they sponsored a mascot for the San Antonio Missions, a puffy taco mascot, and that was Henry's the Puffy Taco. And Henry the Puffy Taco has been a uh, staple at San Antonio Mission Games for decades. And uh, Puffy Tacos throughout San Antonio are also very well known. So it's uh, very well known at the ballpark, very well known in the city, San Antonio Missions, Puffy Tacos. And uh, this year it seemed kind of inevitable. I'm in a way almost surprised it didn't happen before. But, you know, obviously we've had a lot of regional food identities in the minor leagues over the last couple of years. And, uh, it's a weekend in May, I believe May 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. The San Antonio Puffy Tacos are taking the field. And so there's this logo, you know, on the cap that is a Puffy Taco who doesn't really have a face, but he has arms and legs. Kind of looks like a little bit like a bug swinging a, a hot pepper. And then the jersey is like the entirety of a Puffy Taco where coming right down the center – Kind of like someone was making like the Seinfeld reference yesterday. Kind of like the puffy Seinfeld shirt. puffy shirt. Yeah. The puffy shirt portion down the center are the is like the lettuce and cheese and tomato and whatnot, and the rest of the jersey is tor- is this uh, fried, bubbly, puffy, tortilla shell jersey. So, those are your AAA prospects of the uh, San Diego Padres taking the field as the San Antonio. Puffy Tacos. Milwaukee Brewers. Oh, the Milwaukee Brewers, yes. They used to be the Padres AA affiliate. Now they're the Brewers. Man, does minor league baseball get confusing. (laughs) If someone can email me and explain minor league baseball, please do so. (laughs) Benjamin.hill at MLB.com. The AAA Milwaukee Brewers affiliate, yes. San Antonio Missions to transform into Puffy Tacos. But I think um, yeah, a lot of promos are coming out right now. A lot more still to come. I say this is kind of my favorite so far, or at least the one that was the biggest, like, whoa, (laughs) look at that. Another thing with promo release schedules uh, season is teams often announce their promo schedules with no visuals or, you know, or or much like detail behind it. 
So there's a lot of stuff I make note of and I'm like, I know this is going to be big, but without a visual, I know if I just tweet or mention it somewhere and just say, hey, team is doing this, it doesn't get any traction. So I just kind of sit on these things and then like a cougar in the woods, I pounce. <laughs> cougar in the woods. Jesus. What happened in eastern Pennsylvania? What? I, just, I grew uh, up around a lot of uh, big cats. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to uh, point out. I, I don't. I don't know why. You know, how a lot of people are weirded out by the word moist. I'm really weirded yeah. out by the word puffy. So, yeah. And you're a big Seinfeld fan too. Yeah. Yeah. The puffy coat obviously is like that's the one. You know, it's uh, that's fine. I guess like Diddy, you know, he's he's all right, whatever. Um, but uh, well, nobody calls him Puffy anymore, anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Puffy tacos. Somebody's like, you want to get some Puffy tacos? We're like, no. They sound like they have a skin condition, and that's disgusting. Hey, well, at least they're not moist tacos. <laughs> See, I'd be I'd be more okay with that. It means it has like, you know, I don't know, a lot of a lot of good chili green chili in it anyway whatever moving on um we've got a uh, a logo question that comes in this week to uh milb.com we discussed uh early on in the show that we actually we put out a call for questions uh last week's episode and we got a ton of good questions submitted um dan public over and dan i really hope i'm not butchering that last name um submitted a question and uh it's a very good one of course there are uh legends as go with uh logo design uh in the across the sporting landscape the nba logo of course is based on jerry west uh the mlb logo which is basically the basis for all sports logos uh that ever came after it for a long time a lot of people believe that it was modeled on Harmon Killebrew, uh, but according to Jerry Dior, who designed that logo, it wasn't really modeled on anybody. It was kind of an a, amalgam of uh, a bunch of different players and silhouettes and photos that he had used. So we got a question from Dan asking, who is the MILB logo based on? Is the logo design based on someone? Uh, and then we were going to discuss, if we could, who would we design said logo after we have uncovered one item of uh of this question and sam and ben i'll let you guys explain sam go ahead oh okay um yeah so we reached out to the folks down in st pete at milb headquarters about this and uh apparently the answer if you can get the milb logo in front of you in a safe way if you're driving don't look it up right now but look it up later uh you can see that you know it, it looks like kind of a generic batter and indeed it's not patterned after anybody it's like tyler said about the mlb logo uh this is not really designed to be any specific player at some point somebody who sat down and said this is who we want to be the face of minor league baseball one thing we can say is that if you ever look at the milb logo in its true form not like on our site right now we have the milb logo as part of milb.com normally just the minor league baseball logo there's four stars over it that stands for the four classification levels, triple A, double A, class A, and rookie level. Uh, obviously, the, within those levels, there's a bunch of other different sub-levels, but really there's four pillars of minor league baseball, triple A, double A, class A, advancing, or class A, excuse me, <laughs> and rookie. See, I'm confusing myself. It's hard. Uh, but yeah, but when you look at this batter, you're not supposed to think of anybody specifically. Um, and yeah, so I, 
I do like the the second half of this question though is if we could redo the logo and nobody's asking us to probably for good reason but if we could who would we model it who would be our Jerry West yeah and this is a very interesting question I was talking to Sam about this yesterday because uh, you can get into some philosophical debates the same yeah. way that various minor leagues have you know Hall of Fames the International League Hall of Fame the Southern League Hall of Fame and a lot of the time it becomes well who are you putting in a minor league Hall of Fame are you putting in a player who spent a lot of time in that league and really made an impact on the playing field or are you putting in a player who maybe had a great two or three months before going on to a Hall of Fame career right. Uh, and that's the intern the eternal push and pull and dynamic of the minor leagues is um, it, it's it's simultaneously a place of uh, that you can be really feel deep roots you know as a fan or working there in the ballparks and uh, you know then the journeyman players who really make a especially in AAA who spend a lot of time there or is it a place where you just remember the people who came through quickly and then you always remember and you can say I know that person when before they became went on to major league you know stardom it's a it's a proving ground it's a place of development I I guess as someone who has been you know willingly uh, immersed in the minor leagues for uh, you know my over a decade now full time uh, really dedicated my professional career to it you know I relate to the minor league lifers of all forms I feel those are my people no matter uh, what they have done so when I think of the minor league logo um, or who I would model it after or really even who I just pretend it is now it's Mike Hesman yeah all-time minor league home run king who had kind of an anomalous career. He had the kind of long minor league career that was much more common in the 20s or 30s or 40s of really just kind of slugging it out in the minor leagues. He finished with uh, 442 home runs, I want to say. It was right around that, mostly in the International League and mostly within the International League with the Toledo Mud Hens. Um, he was, I believe, the last player, minor league player, who was older than me at the time he retired. So that was a bit of a benchmark for me, being <laughs> like, oh, man, there's nobody on the field older than me anymore. And, um, you know, I was always just a fan of the guy and a fan of the lifers and a fan of the guy with no condescension and no snarkiness. A fan of the guy, you know, who, who maybe never really broke through and had big time success. But in its own way, that to me is a huge success story. The same thing as a band that stays together for decades and might never get out of like mid-sized clubs clubs but they stay together and they have fans i think if you keep doing what you love and you're going to make an impact no matter what and he certainly made an impact and had a lot of fans throughout minor league baseball and at the end of the the day how many people can say you know i i I set a record and i did what i loved professionally for this long and uh so that to me is a big part of minor league baseball so i I went on a little tangent there but mike hessman why not make him the mill logo that would have been my selection too honestly sam do you have anybody no, no. I mean, that's who Ben and I talked about yesterday. I mean, somebody else in the office, I think it was Kelsey, threw out like a Vlad Jr. If if we're going the other way of somebody who just torched minor league baseball and uh, was a very, very good performer. But, um, you know, I, I don't think Vlad Jr., as recognizable as he would be with his hairstyle and uh, his body type, uh, you know, you want to talk about somebody who's been around the minors the longest time and touched every level and been around and... Um, you know, like like Ben said, set records. Uh, you know, it's great to to go quickly, but somebody who is going to be in the record books for a very long time and has a fun story to tell, uh, Mike Hessman would be perfect for that. So, I don't think anybody's going to ask us to do this. I don't, I don't, nobody's you know looking to change the Mill logo anytime soon. But uh, Mike Hessman, I think, should certainly be at the top of the list. 
All right, a final topic this week uh, is going to be a fun one. We last week told you about uh, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs who are dressing up in an alternate identity, um, a food-inspired identity this season. And evidently, uh, people in that area were not cool with Ben's pronunciation of what uh, this team is going to be called. And I feel like it's sort of fitting because we talked going into that segment about Poonchkies. Uh, which Sam pointed out and gave us the spelling of, which is a, a Polish food item that is spelled nothing like what it's pronounced like. And so I have no idea how this thing would have been pronounced. So I'm going to let you guys handle it. And, uh, and I'm going to avoid being yelled at for mispronouncing. Well, we talked about a Lehigh Valley uh, food identi- identity that they had announced, uh, a donut, a um, Pennsylvania Dutch treat, and uh, it's F-A-S-T-N-A-C-H-T-S. And I think when we were talking about it last week, we were like, oh, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs are going to be the Fastnats. Fastnots. 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 And, uh, yeah, we heard that that is not uh, correct. In fact, um, a man named Mike, and I'm going to now to further the mispronunciation, probably <laughs> say his last name wrong. Uh, he was my designated eater uh, when I visited the Reading Fight and Fills. Mike. Olimbach or Olimbach. I cannot remember how to say his name, so now I can uh, be contacted again. But he's from that region, and he said, hey, man, no, that's uh, that's, not, that's not how it is. And Didn't he say he was grating to his ears? Yeah, he did. He wow. said it was grating to his ears. And I believe that a lot of our listeners in uh, the Lehigh Valley area and of uh, you know Pennsylvania Dutch heritage, uh, I'm sure a lot of them – I remember our last – Look at the demographics of uh, who listens to this show, and the, the Pennsylvania Dutch was uh, was the, the biggest high. the biggest one on the pie chart. So I know a lot of people uh, had some, or I guess in that case it would have been the shoe fly pie chart uh, to, to reference Dutch history. Uh, but I believe anyway these these donuts, these uh, Pennsylvania Dutch donuts that the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs are suiting up as is uh, fast nut. Fast. Fast nut. Okay. F, oh, it's like not more that like F O S T N O T. Fast nut. You said fast instead of fast. That's not that grating to the ears. That seems a little drastic. Well, Ooh. I'm still probably doing it wrong. <laughs> but we'll also point out that the Iron Pigs literally tweeted out 23 hours ago as of this conversation. No matter how you pronounce it, this fast nut deal is too delicious to pass up. So they don't even care. <laughs> you know, yeah, we but... gave the. This is the second week we are talking about their promotion. That's true, but we have to do better for our Pennsylvania Dutch listeners. (laughs) Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz, on Instagram at TheBen'sBiz, and you can find all of his stuff at MILB.com slash fan slash Ben's Biz. And the the batting around column on naming changes uh, for ballparks across the minor leagues is up right now. And uh, all the other stuff you can catch there as well. Ben, continued good pronunciation and all the rest. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, thanks, guys. This After Dark segment has been a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully you'll, Tyler, you're putting some After Dark music now that the segment is over. I'm thinking like a David Sanborn sax riff. I just yeah. watched Lethal Weapon, something like that, yeah. Just a lot of very 80s uh, kind of Nuevo Noir sort of stuff. We'll, we'll make sure to mix that in somehow. Yeah, make it sultry. <laughs> thanks, man. Yep. Very soon, soon and very soon, uh, we will be in the last segment of the show with our MILB.TV picks. How exciting is that? I'm already taking notes. Uh, since we know the schedule, I mean, we can already 
write down who who we expect to be watching on that opening day. Uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it, I'm just super excited. The all the new things that are going to be coming to MILB TV, cleaner feeds, more feeds, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it should be super exciting. But first, we have to get to spring training baseball, which is actually coming to the Grapefruit League and Cactus League. I think in a week. Uh, it's not going to take m- much longer before you know the Boston Red Sox are playing Northeastern University or uh, some of these other random schools they they get to play major league teams. That that's the first sign of spring for me uh, officially is when you know somebody's baseball career gets made because they got to go up against a former Cy Young winner for one at bat. Uh, I love that stuff. So that that stuff is just around the corner. So much more is around the corner with our spring training coverage. Can't wait. But before that, I get to go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota tomorrow, where I think it's supposed to be a feels-like temperature in the negative 30s. So, you know, we all have our excitement. Arizona soon, <laughs> Tyler. You have your I credential. Did, I did get my soon. credential uh, in the in – the, or I got it from uh, UPS the other day. UPS driver pulls up, and you're always, like, a little confused, and you're not excited. I'm like, what is this? I didn't order anything. Uh, and then I get the envelope, rip it open. There's my Cactus League credential inside. Very excited about it. And then I thought to myself, oh, I should probably, like, make plans to go down there. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I'll be there uh, from the 15th, actually through the 26th. I'll be doing uh, not spring training coverage that whole time exclusively. The uh, final America's Olympic qualifier for the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games will be taking place from the 21st to the 26th. I'll be broadcasting those games. And in the six days prior to that, I'll be covering spring training for MILB.com. And Sam is headed to Florida, correct? Yes, I will be in Florida as I am every year. I'm I'm locking down my plans for that. Still don't have those set yet, but hopefully this time next week I'll be able to tell you guys where I'll be. And if you're there, as always, uh, give us a shout. Um, you know, we love to hear from listeners in person or in email. If you have more email questions, we gladly accept those. This was a great week for for email questions. Keep those coming, and we'll answer more of those in the episodes to come whether it's next week or you know as we get deeper into spring training absolutely and uh that's all for sam dexter i'm tyler mom we'll talk to you next week 